0: G'day CB here thanks for listening to this episode of chewing the fat today JY and I chew the fat with Pat Chirico Pat is a personal trainer mindfulness and meditation coach and breathwork facilitator Pat unpacked and demystified the concept of mindfulness, explained how we can easily incorporate mindfulness into our daily lives to literally change the structure of our brain. There are some epic practical takeaways from this chat that are especially relevant today as we all deal with repeated lockdowns and the global pandemic. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already, and check us out on Instagram at chewing the fat underscore podcast. Hope you enjoy. Good morning,
1: good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are listening to the podcast. Welcome to Chewing the Fat. Today, we have Pat Chirico, personal trainer, mindfulness coach, and breathwork facilitator. Pat, thanks for coming on the podcast.
2: How are you, mate? Good. Very good today. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Pat, can you... How are you start? both going? Uh, yeah, both going well, mate. Both going well. We, uh, we wish we had the pleasure of catching up with you in person, but obviously, lockdown six... Melbourne has uh has put us back into the zoom space which is unfortunate mate but apart from uh yeah apart from missing out on that mate going going okay
1: can't complain so
0: can we start by uh just hearing a bit about yourself Pat tell us about your story because you have had quite a big career change mate moving from the corporate world um into this sort of health and wellness space can you tell us a little bit about your story mate and um yeah how that all came about
2: yeah definitely um it's been a pretty wild ride coming from the corporate space so i worked as an accountant for about three to four years in my early 20s and i knew from about day two as an accountant that it wasn't right for me but decided to stay for four years Um, and during that time i sort of made every health mistake you you could make i was sort of overworking um i was skipping meals i wasn't sleeping well i was very stressed and upon reflection during that time was sort of a low point for me i had a fair bit of anxiety um even upon reflection i was even in a very depressive state with the work i was doing just being sort of disconnected from sort of my passion in life and disconnected from myself during that time as well and that led me on a path to just question what i was doing and question like how could i just it's a big question but find myself again and actually improve my health and live a life on essentially my terms and that started with going to the gym and taking care of my body which eventually led to me just deciding to become a pt and that naturally then sparked my interest in mental health as well um and that led me to becoming a meditation teacher so it's yeah been a bit of a journey of the last seven years
1: yeah brilliant how old
2: were you at this point uh when i left to County, i was 24 yeah. years old yeah
0: why do you reckon it took you from uh well after day two you realized it wasn't for you why do you reckon it took you four years back because I, th- I think that's something that so many of us do in life, we get stuck in these ruts and stuck in these traps where we know we're not entirely happy, but there's something that stops us making that change. What do you think that, was, that barrier was for you at the time?
2: Yeah, it was fear. Like I was terrified to make that change. I just spent three years at uni, accumulated a nice chunky hex debt um, through those three years and to just throw that all away instantly. Uh, was a really scary idea, especially when I thought, oh, I've got a really secure job now. Uh, I've got that safety that comes with a secure job. People are, like my parents are proud of me for having this great job. Um, The income's good. It just felt like it'd be a horrible mistake to let it go. So yeah, there's a lot of fear associated with making that decision. That fear kept me stuck for a long time.
0: Um, And I, I trust it wasn't a horrible mistake in the end that so um <laughs> it was a super positive move hence uh hence that we've got to know each other mate and we're having you uh us yeah. today um so what in the end what was it that actually made you take that jump um did you become more self-aware about your physical and mental health at, at that stage or um what was the actual trigger
2: well around the last sort of six months of working in the corporate space um, I sort of really hit a low point. Uh, I remember walking home from the office to the train station, just sort of like breaking down some nights. Like, it was a crime. I was just over it, didn't wanna be there. Um, I just in a really bad position. And I started to do some meditation stuff and started to feel a bit better just through that practice itself and being guided through that practice. I remember talking to my boss at the time and he looked at me and he goes, you don't have to be here if you don't wanna be here. He knew I was struggling. And it was just those words that he said sort of gave me the invitation to go oh okay. okay it's all right to fail at this it's all right to let go of it and um i thank him now for sort of saying that one sentence that essentially changed my trajectory so um yeah it was all thanks to him really
1: it's amazing how people feel trapped almost in a job or in a workplace mm. when in reality we can sort of design our own destiny. It's sure. uh yeah. you know, like and it's awesome though that you had the uh I guess the words come out that helped you to sort of click and realize that. So that's brilliant.
2: Yeah. It's only there's that, that one sentence and as soon as you said it it landed, I'm like, oh yeah, I don't have to be here.
1: Yeah.
2: Like what am I doing? Coming here every day. So um yeah, it was it was a real gift for him just to say that one sentence.
0: That's so cool, mate. And so, from going to that corporate world as an accountant, now you're you're a man who sort of fulfills many roles. You wear many hats. PT, mindfulness, meditation coach, breathwork facilitator, um, lover of ice baths. For some strange <laughs> touch on that in a little later. Uh, but the thing that we want to talk to you most about today, mate, is uh, is this m- mindfulness space. Um, mindfulness mm-hmm. is it's sort of a buzzword at the moment. People sort of, you know, talk about it all the time. We hear it pop up on Instagram and, you know, it's you know, it's sort of spruiked a little bit in the world and it's something that we need to be doing to look after ourselves, but it's something that I think mm-hmm. a lot of us don't understand. So can we start with just your, your definition, mate? What exactly is mindfulness um, so we can sort of explore the topic a little bit more from there?
2: Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, and you're right, it's become in a way polarized as to what mindfulness is. There's so many different ideas and definitions, but the way I've been taught and the way I look at it, it's simply an awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment, not judgmentally. Now that in itself is a little bit wordy in nature. Um But effectively, what we can break that down to is simply just noticing anything in the present moment and not creating a story about it, not getting lost in it, just focusing on it, whether that's your body, your breath, your thoughts, your emotions, your senses, anything that grounds you back in this moment can be used as a way to practice mindfulness anywhere that you are at any time.
1: Mm. And I guess, um, like a lot of the time we are huge advocates for mindfulness but the question that still comes up is why do we do that why is mindfulness useful so um maybe you can touch on that
2: yeah and especially in this current time that we're living in where the uh the stress gauge and the uncertainty gauge seems to be ramped up uh to a pretty high degree mindfulness can play a really big role in helping us overcome that stress and that anxiety of this time. The idea of landing ourselves back in the present moment, through mindfulness, gives us the ability to escape from that stress or escape from that anxiety, because there's no stress or anxiety inherently in the present moment itself. So when we can train our attention to come back to the present moment, we can let go of those stories of future worry, or past regret they keep us in this cycle of stress and fear so the more we can train our attention to keep coming back and it's hard to do it takes a lot of practice that's why it's a mindfulness practice not a not a perfect in any way but the more we can do this the more we settle back in the present moment the more we can overcome our stress and actually just be with whatever is here now for us Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's obviously the physical benefits and uh, mental benefits of it as well we can go down the rabbit hole with that if you want to explore that as well.
0: Definitely keen to go down that rabbit hole, mate. Um, If you can enlighten us on the Mm -hmm. research and and the benefits and things like that. But I just want to touch on that point that, you know, coming back to the present moment, I think that's so powerful because so many of us in this current day and age, especially, we. Are constantly worried about what's happened in the past and how you know that mm-hmm. that you know correlates to our everyday life right now. And we're so worried about what's going to happen in the future that I think so many of us yeah. so sort of hard to stay in, in the moment. And I'm absolutely one of those. And, um, as yeah, am I, yeah, as is, I suppose, yeah. everyone. Um, yeah, and I think that, that's, yeah. to me, is why this is, this is such a powerful concept and why this conversation is so important is that we do s- struggle to switch off from the past and the future and, and live right now. And essentially, that's what this whole practice yeah. um, that you teach every day is.
2: Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, you sort of said it perfectly there. Like, we're only ever really suffering our memories or imagination So when you think of like when you're stressed or you're anxious, there's nothing anxious about the moment that you're in. You're you're somewhere else in this moment, either in imagination or in memory. So if we can sort of bridge that gap and sit between those two places, it's actually quite calm and peaceful in the middle. Um, We just have to find a way there. And mindfulness is that tool to come back to that. I've
1: never heard it like sort of mentioned as um, imagination and memory. And I think that's a really like, that's a really cool way of putting it.
2: Yeah, I won't claim that to my own. My teacher who told me mindfulness told me that, so I'm not going to claim we that You don't need to say, to say that on, on the podcast
1: or we'll, we'll, we'll yeah. we can trademark it, go for it. <laughs> um, I
2: might run with it then. No, we <laughs> might edit that part out. Um, but, yeah, when when I heard it like that, it really landed for me as well. That's all I've been suffering my whole life it was my, to me, as I like a future worry. A lot of my imagination was creating the concern. And as we all know, A lot of our sort of um, worst case scenarioing that occurs in our head actually never happens anyway. And we we know that through looking at our past, but um, it's hard to break that cycle sometimes.
1: We also have almost warped perceptions of the past as well. Like our memory isn't always our best friend. So sometimes things haven't quite gone out in that manner. So it's, yeah, that's, I think that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah. Um, And that's another powerful thing of, with mindfulness and what I try and teach clients as well, like having that perception of your past that is essentially creating the fear of the future. If we can change the perception of the past, we can sort of change how you relate to your future or how you see it. And that itself can be a really powerful mindfulness practice that we can tend to ignore because it can be a little bit icky or scary to look at those things again. But it can be a great transformation in that place if we're willing to sort of do that. That level of work.
0: yeah. You started to touch on the benefits, Pat, of mindfulness. Can you go down that path a little bit more? And, and can you tell us is this something that's actually, um, you know, is there research behind this concept? Is it actually science backed, or is this all sort of pseudoscience and, you know, um, something that, oh, you know, that's sort of hippies and, you know, alternative people, they sort of go down this path. <laughs> you know, as evidence based practitioners and people in the industry, can, you know, is this something that we can
2: actually recommend? Yeah, definitely. And the, know the answer to this,
0: by the way. He's pushing it. I said, I know the answer to this, by the way. I just want you to
2: tell us, mate. Cool. Um, if I miss anything, then jump in. Fill in for me, please, if you can. But, um, Chris knows like, everything. There's been a lot of studies that have actually shown um, there's a branch of mindfulness called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, MBSR, And a lot of eight week long studies have shown through people receiving that level of training that there's been areas of the brain associated with stress and fear, which is your amygdala, actually decrease in size. So through the act of mindfulness, they're actually becoming more resilient to stress. And that's shown through brain scans. So that in itself. But hopefully, it's enough to convince anyone to go and try the practice. But when we are in this mindfulness state, when that fear center of the brain is actually decreasing size, our thinking and rational center, that prefrontal cortex, actually stays lit up for longer, can actually help us think our way through these stressful times in a more clear and concise way. Because when we are stressed and we don't have this mindfulness training to fall back on, and that Part of our brain switches off. It's hard to make the right decision. It's hard to to just work your way through these difficult times. So, from a mental perspective, that's sort of the biggest benefit there that I typically see with people. Um, and from a physical perspective, the decrease in stress through the body, the decrease in stress hormones through the body, keeping blood pressure down, muscle tone down, the whole system just runs better. Immune health is boosted. Digestive health is boosted the list can go on and on when it comes to that there because in stressful states um we don't digest properly our immune system takes a hit and it becomes very difficult to live a very healthy life internally and then externally as a result
1: and you've uh, told us how great mindfulness is what it is how can we start what's the where's the best place to begin actually practicing mindfulness
2: yeah, that's, that's actually a really good question because I think that's the trap that a lot of people fall into. Um, I'll often ask and I sort of coach a group setting, like who knows mindfulness is good for them and everyone raises their hands and who's actually practising and maybe one or two keep their hands up and all the other hands fall down pretty quickly. So we know it's good for us, but it can be hard to know where to start. And the simplest place to start is just if you take one conscious breath right now just one for 10 seconds you've done it you just practice mindfulness because essentially every conscious breath you take yeah every conscious breath you take is a focusing of your attention there and no longer focusing on your stress or anxiety you're sort of changing the channel of your own mind but to extend on that i would encourage people to use what they have at any time We can think that we have to have the perfect setting, a quiet room, a candle lit, sitting in some sort of meditative monk lotus position, but you can practice mindfulness wherever you are. Um, And what I often tell people to try and do is use their senses to land in the present moment. So you can be eating a meal, you can still connect to the smells and the tastes and the colors, and that lands you back in the present moment. That can be a mindfulness practice. You could be arguing with a friend, or a partner, and you can feel the anger rise in your stomach, you can hear the thoughts in the back of your mind, as you can connect to that, that's you being mindful in that moment. So I'd encourage people just to look for little opportunities through their day, to have these like little spot mindfulness practices and that in itself can keep you coming back again and again to the present moment. And that can be quite transformative over time. For me, I
0: think this is going to be one of the biggest takeaways from our chat is what you've just said that we can literally practice mindfulness anywhere, um, you know, in any space, in any context, at any stage of our day, at any stage of our lives. And it doesn't have to be this really formal um, thing where we take 10 or 15 or 20 minutes um, to do a meditation, for example, or a guided sort of session. Um, And that probably leads me to my next question, Pat. Mindfulness and meditation sort of get um, put together in this sort of same basket, but there is and although they can be sort of the same thing and and working towards the same objective, um, there is a difference between mindfulness and meditation. Is that correct?
2: Yeah, there, there is. Mindfulness is sort of one form or a branch of meditation, meditation sort of being in the umbrella term. But there are so many styles and types of meditation. The list goes on and on and on. And mindfulness is more of a practice that can be Utilize as we said, anytime and anywhere. Where meditation itself, like more traditional styles of meditation, they're a bit more formal in nature. Um, But we don't have to have that formality when it comes to mindfulness. Mindfulness is its ability to be used, as we said, in any moment of the day, it's always with us. Um, So yeah, they are very different in nature and we do get the two quite confused. I think what happens when people hear meditation they have i think it's like there's a religious or spiritual undertone to it and that scares them away from it sometimes but mindfulness doesn't have that associated with it and it's a lot more accessible for people to yeah separate the two
0: i think that's where personally i you know i've gone wrong in the past where i used to spend 10 minutes every day doing a formal sort of mindfulness meditation using a, you know in yeah. space app or, or something like that and um oh. I think it was beneficial, you know, I definitely didn't. It's something I looked forward to and I felt better afterwards. But, you know, for that 10 minutes, even if, you know, I'd be in the present moment and I'd be calm and I'd feel better for a short time afterwards, it wouldn't stop the fact that the other 80 or 90% of the day I'd be worried about the past or worried about the future. And it's like, well, is that the most effective thing? Um, Whereas now personally, and I'd love your feedback on this, you know, I don't do these formal meditation and mindfulness practices anymore, but, you know, we'll try to implement this throughout the day, whether it's, um, I heard another podcast that, that you were on, um, Pat, where, you know, you're driving home from work and you just pay attention to, to what's going on around you, whether it's, you know, counting yeah. trees on the side of the road or noticing the colours or seeing what you can hear. And, you know, for me, even if it's just, you know, listening to a podcast, then for that half an hour, hour, I'm, I'm just listening to the podcast and I'm not worried about work or I'm not checking Instagram or I'm not, you know, scrolling the news to see what the latest coronavirus restrictions are or, or whatever the case may be. And just constantly trying to... Yeah at different times throughout the day be completely present in that moment rather than um, taking time aside, which can be a stress in itself, to say, oh, I need 10 or 20 or 15 minutes to to go and take this
2: time out of my yeah. own day to practice in meditation. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I completely agree with what you said there. Um, but there's nothing wrong with a formal formal practice, but um, I have a lot of people or clients who will come to me having practiced a formal practice with like a Headspace app or a Calm app, and they're using it as like an, an escape mechanism or a release valve to the stress they're feeling before they go back into the stress that they've been feeling for the day. So it's not really solving the issue. And like you said, because of that time constraint, it just creates more stress in the actual practice itself. Yeah. Um, there's a real benefit to like what you said there, listening to that podcast or turning off the news and just finding those pockets of presence through the course of a day. You can do one 10-minute practice, but you can do 50 one-minute practices through the course of a day, and that's going to have a lot more benefit long-term um, in terms of just landing back in that moment. And you can probably feel like, how do you feel when you're having those smaller mindfulness gaps in the day? Does it change your outlook on the day?
0: So much better. Like, significantly better. Literally, just this morning, I caught myself doing the opposite. I was making some toast and packing my bag for work and reading an article on my phone all at the same time. And I literally like, <laughs> put myself in my head. I was like, I'm you know, I'm not stressed to the point where, Oh my God, I'm so stressed. But I, I was, I had a heightened sense of stress in my body. And I'm like, hold on a second. No, I can do this one at a time. And I put my phone away and left packing my bag. And I just like made the toast for two minutes and like was there. Mm-hmm. And I'm like that simple thing. I put my phone away and you know, whatever else I was doing, put that to the side. And I was just at the toaster making the toast. Like it seems so silly and so small, but, I felt better, I felt calmer, um, I felt happier just in that moment. Like it seems such a small, yeah. silly example. Um, but when I personally want to catch myself, you know, trying to do two or three or four things at once, well, I'm like, okay, I'm not being mindful here. I have this heightened sense of stress and I'm not as happy. Mm.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, it hit the nail on the head then. We look at it from a mindfulness perspective of like focused and sustained attention. When we're multitasking, we think we're focusing on everything pretty well. Our attention is actually moving so quickly through a number of different things that it's actually creating a lot of stress in the system. We're just not aware of it. So to catch yourself in that moment this morning and go, "Okay, cool. I'm just going to make this toast." That sort of spinning attention in the mind it just slows down. And once it comes to a stop, there's nothing but calm and happiness, like you said, just waiting there for you. It's so close to us, like to grab onto, Um, but we just keep missing it throughout the course of the day
1: um one of our previous episodes chris you mentioned in regards to practicing mindfulness it's like brushing your teeth like you're not going to brush your teeth once a week or once a month or even when you start to get a gum disease you're going to brush your teeth every day for a set period of time and it's kind of like that's how since then i've looked at the practice of mindfulness it's not just To me, the sit down 10 minutes here in this block, you know, try to knock it all out in one day. It's sort of those constant little bits during the day throughout to catch yourself, to sort of, you know, regroup. And when I used to practice or when I first started practicing meditation, I used to get more stressed worrying about or that 10 minute block. Like I used yeah, to try right. to find this time in the day. and It didn't matter if I scheduled it or not. I'd have notifications going off my phone reminding me it was time to meditate, which would stress me more. And then when I finally did meditate, I'd kind of come out of it and be like, oh, I feel great, and then be stressed 10 minutes later. Whereas, you know, very similar to what you did this morning, Chris, it's the practice, I guess, frequently, those, uh, those frequent little bites I found had really helped keep me... I don't want to say calm, but help me sort of just to, you know, regroup, just refresh and, you know, get back to what I'm doing in that present moment. Is that, I guess, sort of a a positive way to think of it? Um, Would that be how you think? Um, I guess mindfulness could be practiced more so than just that sort of clunky, uh, yeah, set blocks to start with, especially for a beginner. Because sometimes beginners do sort of like to, program it in like that do you think it's something that they can start with
2: yeah definitely i think that's a really positive way in to just use those smaller windows of time even if it's just 30 seconds of pausing and just focusing on what you're doing for that 30 seconds to 60 seconds um we can try and force that 10 minutes or force that 15 minutes in and it becomes like a to-do list item Is my mindfulness Check it off for the day, even if we didn't feel <laughs> calm at all. At least I did it. I and mean, then we just tick it off. So I think, and that can be really hard to do when you first start, like just sitting for 15 minutes in stillness, mm-hmm. especially if your mind is racing, that can feel really uncomfortable. So it's okay to bring it down to 30 seconds of breathing or a minute of just watching the toast and the toast or whatever it might be. Um, yeah. Just, you can create the practice around your needs in that moment. So I definitely agree with you there. Uh, if you need smaller windows of time and you want to make it more informal, yeah, go for it. I think that's the best way in for a lot of people. Um, yeah, especially during this time where there can be so much noise coming at you. Yeah.
0: What do you say, Pat, to people that would tell you that they really struggle to clear their mind or that they think they, yeah. they find themselves constantly distracted when they're trying to practice mindfulness?
2: Yeah, um, touch on the distraction side first because that comes up all the time um, with people. Uh, We tend to think when there's distractions we've failed our practice or we were not meant to get distracted. But distractions are part of the practice and I always talk about the idea, it's like being in the gym. Each distraction is a rep. If you get distracted and you can bring your attention back, that's a rep. And the more distractions you have, the more reps you can do and the stronger your attention becomes over time. So early on, um, if there's a lot of distractions present, awesome, that's great. Like use that as a way to train your attention more and more, welcome them in because they can provide a pivotal part of our practice. So there's that importance with distractions I don't mean you failed in any way. And the thing that distracts us most is typically our mind getting lost in thought. We're trying to sit there and clear our mind. And the more we try and clear our mind, the more thoughts come in. It's like that idea like don't think about a gorilla, and all you can think about is a gorilla. Like we try and stop our thoughts, more thoughts just naturally come in. Um, what I would say for people to try is not to try and stop their minds in any way, to try and wrestle their minds. The mind has being built to think, it's the nature of the mind to think like it's the nature of the sun to shine. We're not going to stop the sun from shining, we're not going to stop our minds from thinking, but we can actually work with the mind. So if we notice thought, if it's really loud in there, can we become curious as to why we may be thinking these thoughts? Can we investigate them through mindfulness? Can we actually use our thoughts? as the object of our mindfulness. So rather focusing on the breath, I can focus on my thoughts and noticing them coming in and out. And when you take up that role as the observer and you create that space with your thoughts, you can start to build a relationship with them. You can get to know them. You can start to welcome them in and show them compassion rather than trying to fight your mind, which is always gonna be a losing battle. We're not gonna beat our minds. So for someone struggling to turn off their mind, work with the noise. Can you show yourself compassion and you can can you become curious as to why the noise is there and one activity I like giving clients is just to label your thoughts whatever thought comes into your mind label it planning worrying remembering and that can help you decolor the mind a little bit as well and work with it cool as
0: a mindfulness teacher and mindfulness coach Pat how do you actually structure your work I mean are you seeing clients one-on-one do you do group sessions I mean how do people? go about working with
2: a mindfulness coach? Yeah, so from a group um, perspective, people will come in and we'll a meditation together and we'll just run them through the practice. Uh, but when it comes to working one-on-one, my objective is to sort of tailor the practice directly to the person's needs. So we'll often talk about perhaps what they're feeling at the moment, what they're going through, what they might be struggling with in their life. And we'll... Build a practice around that. So, the mindfulness practices I do with people are typically around emotions and actually becoming more mindful of how they're feeling, mindful of what that's sort of creating in their life, and then actually working with that um, through meditation. And emotions are something you can actually focus on in your mindfulness practice as well, which can be quite, quite powerful.
1: What, um, when you work with someone, how do you sort of gauge their progress? So, I guess like the PT example, like we can sort of see people getting stronger yeah. or you know getting fitter. How do you actually sort of make sure your client is progressing? And how do you like how do you explain that to them?
2: That's a brilliant question because it's extremely subjective, um, and I always tell them like you might not see it for the longest time or we might not even notice that it's actually occurring because as we actually release like emotions through mindfulness or as we like learn to work with them the thoughts that are associated with them just fall away so you don't even know that things are changing it's more of an automatic process but for me i'll gauge it typically a client will maybe in their fourth or fifth session i'll say what's been going on for you this week and I'll say oh nothing everything's sort of been all right and at that moment I'm like ah. Oh. <laughs> okay there it is um and after a couple yeah and after a couple of weeks when they've brought nothing up i'm like i think you've nailed it <laughs> I think you've got it like you don't need me anymore um and it's in those moments where all of a sudden you're getting through the day and realizing whoa okay i'm not nearly as stressed as i was or this big event occurs and like oh that didn't stress me out like what's happening here it's in those moments you can sort of realize oh things might be shifting and I'll see it when they come to me and say, this will happen. And I felt fine. I'm like, okay, well, I think you're good. I think you've got this.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, that's mm. really cool, mate. That's that's really cool. Because, yeah, I think that's a great question, Jay. Why? And it's not as obvious as, you know, I've lost five kilos or I've bench pressed 100 yeah. kilos or whatever the case may be. Um, but, yeah, that's that's super cool to see, mate. It must be really satisfying, obviously, especially coming from the corporate world and and then, you know, coming into this space and then seeing, you know, the change that you can make in your clients. But that, uh must be a really cool feeling, mate.
2: Yeah, it does feel, it's extremely rewarding to see that change that occurs in there. And all I can do as a mindfulness teacher is just sort of point them in the in the direction. It's up to them to do that work and take that time to look within and make that change. So when people do that, like, I just feel so grateful that I could show them that path. And it's amazing to see someone actually walk down that path.
0: Um. I want to touch on, you know, something that's really practical and then our audience can sort of take away. Um, mm. So obviously you said, and like anything in our industry, you know, your practices are individualised to the needs of the people that um, that employ you, Pat. But is there, you know, a handful of sort of simple go-to practices that you can sort of leave our audience with in terms of managing just stress and anxiety in general throughout our lives?
2: Yeah. Um, when it comes to managing stress and anxiety, there's probably two things that I would generally look at just as an easy sort of entry point, and one is conscious breathing and using that as a tool to ground yourself in this moment. So ideally, you'd be able to close your eyes, sit somewhere safe and just take six to eight conscious breaths. It won't take more than two minutes to do. But if you can do that in that moment and just be with whatever comes up in you, that's going to really start to change how you're feeling and actually start to calm your nervous system down in a really sort of big way. Those people who struggle to actually find that stillness, I'd encourage using movement as a mindfulness practice. If It's really hard to sit still. Perhaps you can go for a walk out in nature or do some light stretching and connect to your body as a way to calm the nervous system down as well when you are feeling quite anxious and quite stressed.
1: It's actually funny it's to say that my um good colleague of mine and good mate of the podcast actually Matthew Rushworth um another PT before he begins any session with um clients or any of the group work he does he actually begins with a very small flow um mm-hmm. some box breathing so he's yep. sort of made it almost a trademark of himself that he gets people especially working with the demographic he does people come in stressed they bring all their Mm. into the session and just by focusing on a bit of breathing with a bit of movement he um manages to get people focused and switched on ready for the you know the training that they're about to complete Um, so it's just funny that you mentioned movement there because it's something that i see firsthand working with him and works really well with him
2: yeah, it, it, it can be really powerful to do that, especially before doing even a formal meditation practice, taking a couple of minutes just to move, especially if you've been sitting all day long at work. Mm. And then you go to sit in a meditation practice, the body may actually want some movement to actually sort of wind itself down and do the opposite of what you've been doing all day. So with some clients who really struggle to sit still, we, I do some like movement with them in a meditation session for about 5 to 10. 10 minutes, and then we do the meditation, and it's a lot easier to drop in for them as a result. So, and encourage people, yeah, to to move first if they feel that will help. Um, and when it comes to the breathing portion, a really practical tip is we always say, take a deep breath. That can be hard to do for some people. And sometimes it doesn't actually help if you're feeling anxious. So, I'd encourage actually focusing more on the out-breath. And if you can slow your out-breath down, the slower you make that out-breath, the more calmer you're going to sort of become. So if you can focus on that rather than the in-breath, and that can be a really easy just switch to make, to, uh, to make some big changes.
0: Obviously, um, we're going through a pretty tough time in general, all around the world at the moment, Pat, and especially here in Melbourne, we've just hit, you know, unfortunately, 200 days in lockdown mm. last week, lockdown number six. It's it's something a lot of people, uh, you know, understandably struggling with, and we're struggling to see an end point and, and a way out of this, and it's, it's having a massive effect on, on the mental health of everyone around Melbourne. I mean, you've given us some great mm. advice already on generally how to deal with stress and anxiety and how we can use mindfulness to in you know increase our, our mental and our physical health um do you have any more thoughts on on lockdowns at the moment not from a political point of view but just from you know how we can <laughs> how we can sort of work through this <laughs> time mate and um you know anything else yeah. specifically? any other advice you have specifically for um for melbourneians um especially as well as means yeah. all around the world um to get through what we're going through at the minute
2: yeah um That's a great question, and I'm more than happy to stay away from the uh, politics. (laughs) We'll definitely do that. We'll We'll do do another episode.
1: We're going to do one next week. (laughs) We'll get you back
2: on and we'll go (laughs) in-depth into what we think's going (laughs) on. (laughs) Beautiful. Looking forward to that one. Um, Yeah, um, I guess lockdowns themselves drive a lot of uncertainty, and what I feel personally that I'm seeing at the moment is A lot of anger and frustration out there and rightfully so but that anger and frustration coming from a place of perhaps fear or even grief everything we've lost over the last sort of 18 months like losing jobs losing connections losing our way of life and i feel it's going to be our ability individually and collectively to actually sit with these feelings through a mindfulness practice and actually get to the root pause of that there. So can we sit with our fear? Can we sit with our grief and just mindfully be with it as if it was like a child you're tending to? Can you show how you're feeling and show yourself for that compassion, that kindness, that tolerance for whatever it is you're feeling? And the more we can honour those needs within ourselves and the more we can let go of those emotions, I feel the better we'll be able to respond to the world because This might sound a little controversial, but like the situation itself never creates the stress. It's the emotions in us and the response to those emotions that creates the stress. So if we can work with what's going on internally, we can change how we respond to the external. So mindfulness also gives us the ability to to do that. And given how tough things are right now, that's not easy to do on your own. So, if you need to find that support, um, I encourage everyone to yeah, just seek that support that you need. But you don't have to feel those feelings on your own. Nice. Um- <laughs>
0: Pat Chirico um, at Instagram is one of my favourite pages. And we'll link this in the show notes. Not not only um, some incredible resources around mindfulness and everything we've spoken about today, um, you're also very, very entertaining and taking a bit of a lighthearted approach to what's going on in the world at the moment, mate, which I think is very, very important because we've got to see humour in bad situations as well. But as I touched on a little bit earlier, one of the themes of your Instagram, Pat, is ice baths. Um, now, yeah. whether you just really enjoy being uncomfortable and torturing yourself, mate, or is there some sort of link between getting in freezing cold water, mate, and, and putting yourself through that and, and this whole mindfulness meditation practice that we that we speak about?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I do enjoy it in a really weird, crazy way. Maybe I do I suck it for punishment. I'm not too sure what that is. Um, but when it comes to, like, the mindset Mental, sorry, and the mindfulness stuff, I do feel it's a really powerful way for me to practice sort of sitting in that discomfort and sitting with those thoughts. And actually, again, going back to that word compassion, offering myself compassion in the ice bath. Like my mind is screaming, my body is saying, What what the stuff are you doing? And if I can just find that presence and that compassion, then that's a way for me to train that mindfulness muscle and just sit with what I'm feeling. Um, so yeah, um, I don't know if that's, if I'm normally doing that it might be a bit weird, but, uh, I use it for that, for that mindset perspective.
1: Yeah. You do um, look a bit like Wim Hof. So a young Wim Hof. Yeah. So sort of, I'll, makes I'll sense. take that. Yeah. I'll yes.
0: take that. <laughs>
1: um, okay. Pat, just quickly, we are uh, coming up to footy finals. So question that's been on my mind the whole time is, are you a football follower? Big football fan.
2: Who do you follow? Unfortunately, I follow Carlton.
1: Oh, okay, all right.
2: Well, so, sorry Been for wrong. bringing that
1: up, then. But do you have a <laughs> uh, do you have a tip for uh, September? Who's going to take it out?
2: Well, I, I did like Geelong until there's a couple of injuries they sustained, but I'm really I'm really hoping they. They get up. Um, Chris likes Geelong, please. Yeah, no, Chris, yes, that's right. And I live with a very passionate Geelong supporter. So um, just for the sake of the whole household, I really hope they come through and then they win because after last year it was pretty quiet for a couple of days in the house. So I'm hoping they get up. But uh, on that note, actually watching Carlton, for any Carlton fans, is a great way to be mindful of your frustration (laughs) and your anger. It's a really good way to practice. So... um, Cal can give me pr- plenty of opportunities to, to hone in. Turn you know, the TV really. off
1: and do some breathing.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say, mate, I
0: think this all makes sense why you're so good at being you know, calm and present <laughs> and practicing the- <laughs> <laughs> because you've had 20, 30-odd years of breaking uh, for the Blues. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's all starting to come together.
2: Yeah, it's right. been a rough time. It's been um, a rough time
0: for you, So well. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled you're backing in the Cats, in mate, but uh, almost an even more important question to finish off today, Pat. Um, tomato sauce in your house, fridge or pantry? It's in the fridge.
2: Yes, we're in the it over. Fridge.
0: We're
1: miles ahead now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> For a man who loves ice bars, I should have known he wants his tomato sauce.
1: <laughs> Pat is literally yeah. glowing. So it's just a, the true reflection of the, you know, the alpha fridge sources.
2: <laughs> why, why, why do you
1: keep it in the fridge, Pat? Give us, a, give us an in-depth explanation.
2: Childhood conditioning. It's always been in the fridge as a kid. Like my parents had it in the fridge. So I've just carried on their legacy. Um and I imagine as a result, my kids would put it in the fridge as well. So um yeah, runs in the family.
1: Generations of Chirico fridge sauces.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. Good answer. It used to be meltdowns as a kid. Like if we'd come home and it wasn't in the fridge, we'd all melt down. Like we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. So um yeah, used to be a big happen. traumatic thing as a kid.
0: <laughs> apart, apart from keeping your tomato sauce in the wrong spot, Pat, we uh, really appreciate you having me. Um, you're honestly a, a very wise and intelligent man, and, and someone I definitely have a lot of respect for and look up to, mate. So I really appreciate you being generous with your time, and I think there's uh, a whole bunch of really, really cool practical takeaways for the children, of fat audience um, from today's episode, mate. So um, yeah, thanks once again, Pat.
2: No worries. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, yeah, hopefully um, people can get a small little nugget from this episode and. Begin their practice. That'd be amazing.
1: Sure, they will. That was brilliant. Thanks, Pat.